0: I'll be reading from the King James Version. We're going to be reading from Hebrews the ninth chapter, the 11th through the 14th verse. But Christ, being come in a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered it in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies to purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works, to serve the living God you may be seen <clears throat>
1: Thank you Virgil for reading our scripture for us this morning and thank you Jonathan Jonathan for these beautiful songs and for your wonderful participation in our worship today. We're all very grateful and just beautiful singing and thank you for that. So happy to have everyone with us today. Always have such a fine audience at Broadway and we're very grateful for your presence. Those of you may be visiting with us, we're very happy to have you and I hope that we'll be able to get to know each other better and, and become better acquainted. And I hope that you will be um, will be made notice of our friendliness our concern for you and our desire for your soul those of us who are members of the broadway congregation who have been obedient to the gospel of christ we have our sins forgiven and that debt has been paid it was a tremendous debt but it's been paid And we've been obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ by repenting of our sins and confessing our faith in Christ and by being baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. This is what the Bible teaches and this is what we did. These are acts of faith which we have obeyed. And for that reason, the debt that we had against us has been revoked and released and been paid. Have you ever had a debt that was such an overbearing debt you couldn't pay it? Have you ever had a debt that was so large it's simply beyond your means to pay the debt? Jesus spoke about that kind of situation in Matthew chapter 18. A debt that was so large they couldn't pay it. Now, I suppose there's not much said about forgiving each other in the pages of the Old Testament, not like there is in the New Testament. There's a lot that's said in the New Testament about us forgiving each other. But in the Old Testament, there's a lot said about God forgiving the Old Testament people. But what about them forgiving each other? And so... Peter asked this question in Acts, Matthew 18 and 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? You see, I don't know that there was a lot said in the Old Testament about one forgiving another. There's a lot in the New Testament. But I don't know if there was a lot said. He probably thought of himself as being very generous. Yeah, I'm willing to forgive seven times. I'd be very generous on his part probably as to how he was thinking with regard to the matter of one forgiving another. And so the question comes up, you say, and I forgive as much as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now that Jesus put a different reflection on the matter altogether always have an attitude of forgiveness with regard to the other individual. Whether the translation be 77 times or 7 times 7, whatever translation we happen to be reading of at the time, Jesus launches into a story about a man who had a tremendous debt. Now, the man who had a tremendous debt owed 10,000 talents. And it was a large sum of money. And he's trying to give us a good understanding of the matter of one forgiving another. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And, of course, the man wasn't able to pay the tremendous debt. And so the king forgave him. He forgave the debt. He canceled it out. And the point that Jesus is making is that's what God has done for us. There was a tremendous debt with regard to us and sin, but because of God so compassionate and God is so loving and and God is so patient and God is so forgiving that the debt can be released and the debt is released, and he tells us how that that debt can be released. Now, talent is a certain amount of money. And I'm told that a talent of gold, as was referred to here, is a tremendous amount of money. It would take a common laborer 20 years to raise the money and save as much as he can in order to equal one talent of gold. That'd take him 20 years of his life in working and laboring. But here's a man who owes 10,000 talents. It's an overwhelming debt. If that is the case, it would take him 200,000 years of labor in order to raise the kind of money necessary in order to pay the debt back. A servant owed him 10,000 talents. But the story continues. When the man who had received forgiveness for such an overwhelming debt that he couldn't pay goes out and finds someone who owes him a debt, this time this man owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarii is a measure of money that's worth, uh, worth about a day's wages. You see, in one instance... You know, it'd be 20 years for one talent, but one day's worth of wages for a denarii. And when this man saw that he was owed a hundred denarii, why, he wouldn't forgive the man at all. He refused and put the man in prison until he should pay the debt entirely. He was unforgiving. Now, for a person to accumulate and work and come up with the wages necessary... To pay off that debt would amount to about four months. He could do it working every day, saving as much as he could. He could pay the debt off in about four months. It was a very doable thing. That compared to 200,000 years, he had such an unforgiving heart. He wouldn't forgive. He, he had no sense about him as far as his forgiveness was concerned and the forgiving of others, and so he wouldn't forgive the debt but the story continues in verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you, verse 34, and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Here's the point. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, verse 35. Now the lesson is about us forgiving one another. And it's a powerful lesson. It springs from the question which Peter had. How many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? And Jesus launches into this wonderful story about the man who owed the debt to the other. And in that regard, the lesson for us is to be forgiving. Remember to be forgiving. What does it mean to be forgiven? I wonder what the fellow felt like whose tremendous debt was forgiven him. It was such an overwhelming debt. It was a debt he could not pay. Even if he'd lived a hundred lifetimes, he'd never be able to pay out. He'd never be able to come up with the kind of funds necessary to receive the forgiveness of that debt. But then the king says, debt-free. It's all gone. And I just wonder what he felt like, the relief off of his shoulders. No longer an obligation. You see, we need to learn that. I know the story of Jesus is about forgiving one another. But I see in this great story the relief that forgiveness can really bring. And how important forgiveness really is. I need to know that. I need to learn as much as I can what it's like to have My debt's forgiven. The greatest debt, of course, I have is my debt to sin. Now, I'm a pretty good guy, just like you're a pretty good guy. You're good. I'm a good guy. I pay my debts. I pay what I owe to whomever I owe, and I sometimes pay it on time. I'm good to my wife, I'm good to my family, and I provide for them. I never kick the dog, even though the dog might need it. So I'm a good guy. Let's say, hypothetically speaking, such a good guy like I am and like you are, that we only sin like maybe once a day. I only commit one sin a day because I'm really good. And you're really good. But if all I ever sinned was one sin a day, in a year, I will have sinned 365 times against God. Now, in three years, if I just sinned one time a day, that's over a thousand sins in three years. In 30 years, that's 30,000 sins. This sin thing begins to build up, and it starts accumulating. And even though I only sin once a day, and I'm a real good guy, just like you're a real good guy. This sin thing's getting out of hand. I've got quite a debt going here. And over a lifetime. You see, I try to minimize sin. That's the way it works in me. I try to put it down I try to play it down it's not so bad this is not such a bad deal it's not such a bad thing and I'm really trying to play this thing down and uh, I see myself day by day and I see myself getting better day by day but God sees my entire life he knows what it's been about since the very beginning of my life and he sees me all the way up to the present and he knows everything that I've done, everything that I've said, every thought that I've had. He knows all about that because he can see the whole life in front of him. And he sees the whole debt. And it's like owing 10,000 talents of gold. that I can't pay back. And even though I think of myself as being a very good guy here, I just uh, sin maybe once a day, get by with it. But those sins really building up and really accumulating. I need to do something about my sin. I need to understand what forgiveness really is all about. For God to just cancel out that debt and cancel out all the sin. Now, if we're really honest with ourselves, we're going to admit. That we sin more than just once a day. If we're honest with ourselves, we're going to admit I've done a lot of sinning in my lifetime. You've done a lot in your lifetime. I've tried to brush a lot of it under the bed and under the table and under the rug. But I've done a lot and you've done a lot. A lot more sinning going on in just one time a day. Over my lifetime... How many sins have been accumulating and building up and building up? I got a debt here. I got a debt I cannot pay. It's like owing 10,000 talents of gold to the master and I can't pay it back. There's no way. I need to understand this forgiveness. I need to understand that I need it. I need to understand what it means when Jesus told us to pray forgive us our debts. And what it meant when Jesus died on that cross. As we read from the pages of the book of Hebrews. In Psalm 85, I got a good passage here. I say it's a good passage. They're all good passages. It's a good passage because it tells me on point what is this matter about forgiveness and what it means. So I'm turning to Psalm 85. It is a psalm about Revival it's interesting in the book psalms about these particular headings and you'll see them in the psalms here the heading is to the choir choir choirmaster, a psalm of the sons of Korah, and i'll not get into the historical background about that even if i could but um, you'll have different headings about that matter he starts off with this point about forgiveness lord You were favorable to your land, you restored the fortunes of Jacob, you forgave the iniquity of your people, you covered all their sins, verse 3, you withdrew all your wrath, you turned from your hot anger. And one of the first things that I see out of this, even though I'd like to talk a little bit about the background on this matter, forgiveness means the removal of God's anger. Now, God was angry with his people, and he disciplined his people. He sent them, as Jeremiah prophesied, Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11. Great verse there. How that the children of Israel would go into Babylonian captivity, and there they'd stay for 70 years. But we know from Bible history that God was merciful to them and brought them out of the captivity. There's a lot of Bible history involved in that event. And here you have Ezra and Nehemiah and and the discussions that go on in those historical Old Testament books whereby God is bringing them back out of Babylonian captivity 70 years of disciplining and chastening with regard to their sins. They were there because of their sins. They were there because of their iniquity and their rebellion against God. And what I have here is a Psalm 85 who's talking about them coming back. And a psalm, how gracious God has been to forgive them and bring them back. And they don't, no doubt sang this hymn in their worship services. And he says, you forgave the iniquity of your people. We got what we deserved. In fact, we didn't get as much as we deserved, but you forgave it. And I think the order here is very interesting. Now, coming from a New Testament background and studying the New Testament... I would have looked at this from the standpoint of the people heard the word and the people repented of their sins and and God forgave them of their sins and the order would be that God returned them back to their homeland. But that's not the order found for us in Psalm 85. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You favored their land. The order here is you brought us back. And you blessed us. You forgave. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Notice four words are used in verse 2. You forgave and you covered. Iniquity and sin. You forgave the iniquity of your people. Verse 2. You covered all their sin. And what is the result? The removal of anger. Forgiveness means The removal of God's anger. That's one of the basic elements of the term forgiveness and what the Bible is telling me. This I need because I got a debt I can't pay. I got an overwhelming debt. I'm head over heels in debt. I'm way underwater here and I can't get it paid back. And what is the Bible telling me? Forgiveness means the removal of God's anger. And that means a lot to me. That I don't have to face God's anger. That he's hid the sin. A lot of wonderful words here I'd like to spend some time on. But I want to study about forgiveness and what it means. I found a passage here in Psalm 103. As you know me, you know I enjoy studying out of the Psalms, these great Old Testament passages. Now here, the inscription above the Psalm, Psalm 103, says the Psalm of David. I don't know what the situation is. I don't know what the background's about, but I can tell you one thing right here. These are beautiful, just like David's psalms are. There's a beautiful symmetry about this psalm because in verses 1 through 5, he talks about the personal praise that he gives to God. And it's a beautiful psalm. I hope you take time to read it in its entirety. By the time you get to verse 6, he talks about the national praise that the people as a nation give to God And then as you come on down about verse 15 to the end of the psalm, verse 22, he's talking about universal praise. Everybody needs to be praising God. Everybody needs to be praising God for his wonderful blessings. Now this particular passage comes to my mind because of verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And now I'm in verse 12, an interesting statement. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And I'll read verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Did you notice some of the statements there that were used? The mercy and the graciousness of God. He's slow to anger. There's that concept again that I've learned. Forgiveness means the removal of the anger and the wrath of God. But yet, uh, he will not always be filled with anger with regard to the disobedient. He wants to have a relationship with his children. He will not always chide, verse 9, nor will he keep his anger forever. You see, he does not deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't really give us what we deserve. He holds back on his wrath. And then this amazing statement, verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who who fear him skip on down to verse 13 that matter of who fear him comes up again as a father shows compassion to his children see the tenderness and the compassion so the lord shows compassion on those who fear him two great principles that i've learned from reading this psalm number one god removes all the sin forgiveness means god removes the sin Forgiveness means that there's God's steadfast love is still available for me. Even though I'm guilty of sin and even though I deserve the punishment which God has given or God can give, he doesn't really deal with me according to my sins. I don't really get what I deserve because of his steadfast love. He can be removed from those who fear him. Fear him simply means those who obey him. And he he makes mention of that twice in the passage notice verse 12 as you have the bible open in front of you i'm in psalm 103 and i'm studying forgiveness and i'm looking at this great old testament passage and what it has to say in such a picturesque way you may want to mark this verse as far as the east is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions from us that's a good verse to remember. You know, if he had said, as far as the North Pole is from the South Pole, now that would be a tremendous expanse, wouldn't it? But that would have a limit. There is a finite limit to, from the North Pole to the South Pole, but there is no limit as far as the East is from the West. It goes on and on. The Hebrew way of expressing an infinity. There is no limit to the love of God and his desire to remove the sin, to assuage his anger against those who rebel, he wants to remove and have that wonderful relationship with his children because of that steadfast love that he has one for the other. Let's turn to an Old Testament prophet Isaiah one of my favorite prophets he would have to be the prince of old testament prophets uh they're great prophets all of them all of them inspired of god and wonderful messages each and every one but some really stand out and i've made the statement before and i think i'm well within the mark of saying it if i had to know only one old testament prophet this would be the one i would know because he talks more about Christ and more about the kingdom of Christ and more about the church of Christ than any other Old Testament prophet. And he's always prophesying something about Jesus and always prophesying something about the return of the people of God and always talking about the kingdom of Christ. It's a great Old Testament prophecy to know and to understand. And if all I had to know was one, I'd want to know this one right here, Isaiah. In fact, I might go a step further. If I could only know one Old Testament book, I'd think I want to know this one because it helps me understand so much about the New Testament. When I came to Isaiah 43, I, I came to this passage. It's found for us in verse 25. Now, the background of Isaiah 43 is basically this, and I'll try to be brief, but now God will revisit his people. Isaiah is trying to tell the people of God. Don't put your hope and trust in Egypt. Don't put your hope and trust in Assyria. Don't put your hope and trust in chariots and horses and implements of war. Put your hope and trust in God. Might be a good message you and I need to remember in this day and time. Don't put your hope and trust in this country. Put your hope and trust in God Almighty and his Christ, the Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Put your hope and trust in God and pray to him and confer to him and and ask his blessings to be upon you and and obey him. That's the message of Isaiah. And he comes to this passage in chapter 43 and verse 25. "I, I am he. You see how he emphasizes the matter? Who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. You say that's forgiveness. God doesn't remember. Now it's interesting the way the writer puts it here and we need to look a little a little bit at to the background of the verse so it will become more real to us. I, I am he who blots out. Uh, translators naturally have a difficult job and have a difficult time trying to convey the thought and the intent of the passage sometimes and into our more modern English language. You know, in ancient times, the writing materials were very crude and homemade. Uh, The most ancient of writing materials was stone, stone tablets. And then um, writing material began to develop, and clay became a very common means of writing material in the ancient Near East. They would take the clay, and while it was moist... They would press into it the message by means of lines and squares and wedges, what scholars call today cuneiform writing. And there they'd set it out into the sun, and it would harden and bake, and it would preserve it. The question is, how are you going to erase a mistake on a writing material like that? And then writing material began to develop even more, and you started having parchments, which is a type of leather. And the leather was taken and refined to a very white sheen, and they would take certain uh, tree bark and lamp black and tree roots and mix them together and make a sort of metallic kind of ink. And they would take a sharp pointed stick called a stylus, they'd set that stick, point, dip it into the ink, and they would sort of draw on the very finely uh, parched vellum material to write with. And writing became a sort of painting on the manuscript, on the leather. Later, uh, writing would be advanced, and you would have papyrus manuscripts. And papyrus is a wonderful subject I love to talk about, Most of the New Testament was written in papyrus or on papyrus leaves, some of which we've actually discovered today. But in Old Testament times, the more popular means of writing would have to be the vellum, the leather, parchment type of materials. And how would you correct a mistake on a manuscript like that? Well, you'd have to take a knife and very gently you would scrape it off. Because you painted on the parchment, with this metallic type of ink which they've made. But we've made a mistake. We've misspelled a word. One of my favorite things to do is misspell words. And so you kind of scrape it off. Today on my fancy dancy computer that I have, I can just backspace and the thing goes somewhere. I don't know where it goes, but it's gone. But now in that day and time, they would take that knife and they would scrape it away very carefully, scrape the mistake away, And then rewrite it properly. That's what he's talking about. I I am he who blots out your transgressions. I've scraped it away. His English Standard Version uses the word blots out. What it meant is God scraped it away. God has removed it. And so that the mistake cannot be seen. Now what is seen is the corrected statement. And God is saying with regard to the matter of forgiveness and understanding what it means. He's saying, I've taken the mistakes and I've scraped them away. I've rubbed them out. I've blotted them out and I do not remember them any longer. Now God is omniscient and God knows all that can be known. And God doesn't forget with regard to the matter but he does not see it. It's accommodative type of language to help us understand what God means by forgiveness, and he says, I'm going to rub the dead out. I'm going to forgive it. I'm going to blot it out so that I do not see it any longer. It's like an old manuscript where I took it, I scraped it away, no longer see it I see the correction got another one here I want to talk about hope I do and it comes if it comes up on this slide there it is Isaiah 44 and 22 And I'd like to spend just a brief moment talking about the background of this great passage. And the passage is verse 42. And it's closely related to the one that I have just uh, mentioned and tried to explain. But in Isaiah 44 and 22, I learn a little more about what forgiveness means. And how important it is to have this debt removed from me. And I'm seeing here the word blotted out. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud. And your sins like mist. Return to me. For I have redeemed you. Now again this is an Old Testament passage. Talking about the Old Testament children of Israel. But it is a passage where Isaiah is talking about the mercy. God has for those who will repent. And he's urging the people of God. Repent of your sins and come back to him. Because God desires this wonderful relationship. Which you have with him. He wants that relationship with you. And you can have it. He will blot out, he will rub away, he will burn off the sin like a mist. Now, I come from Middle Tennessee, and in case you didn't know, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, garden spot of America, by the way. But anyway, just east of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, the hills of Tennessee, the Smoky Mountains. And they're called the Smoky Mountains simply because of the haze and the mist that's there on the mountains. It looks like the mountains are on fire. They're not. But because of the haze that hangs over the mountains, the humidity and the moisture in the air, they call them the Smoky Mountains. And it's been called that way for years and years. Because of that look. But when the sun comes out. It burns that haze off. And that's the imagery used in this passage. Isaiah 44 and 22. He says like a cloud. And your sins like mist. He says I've rubbed them out. Return to me. For I have redeemed you. This is a great word. And a great word is. Forgiveness. It means the removal of God's anger. It means the removal of sin. It has to do with God's steadfast love. God no longer remembers the sin. God has redeemed us. And brought us back. Now I spent my time this morning on Old Testament passages. And there are a lot more. What I need to do tonight is spend my time on New Testament passages and talk about forgiveness from the standpoint of the New Testament. I want to learn as much as I can about the matter of forgiveness and how important it is. I want to learn as much as I can about what I need to do in order to receive this forgiveness. How I can receive forgiveness. The removal of sin. The Bible tells me by repenting of my sin. And Luke, I mean uh, Isaiah's already discussed it for us somewhat already. That I turn from darkness to light to quote Luke's statement in Acts. And from the power of Satan unto God that I might receive the forgiveness of my sins. I repent of my sins. And there because of my confession of faith in Christ... Romans 10, 9, and 10. My baptism into Christ for the remission of sins, a promise given to those who repent and are baptized will receive forgiveness. Acts 2 and verse 38. The debt that's overwhelming that I cannot pay on my own will be removed. And I can be like the fellow in the story where the king says... The debt's been forgiven. And I want to tell you something. I am the man. My sin has been forgiven. And I'm talking to people, many of you, your sins have been forgiven. Because you heard this message of the gospel and you responded to it. And out of obedient faith, you turned your life over to Christ and over to God. And you said, yes, I want that forgiveness. But for those of you who have not, the opportunity is given to you right now to understand it and receive it. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.